Welcome to Definitely Maybe Agile, a podcast where Peter Madison and David Shurrock discuss the complexities of adopting new ways of working at scale. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Definitely Maybe Agile with your hosts, Peter Madison and David Shurrock. How are you today, Dave? <laughs> doing well, doing well. It's uh, Yeah, it's always good to kind of get together. We were just prepping this conversation and I'm beginning to think we just needed to hit them. Yeah, we we should have just hit record because none of uh, the things we say from now on for the next 15 minutes or so are going to be anywhere near as insightful as what we were saying right before the call started. (laughs) That's always the case. We should always remember that. Yeah, we Um, should remind our listeners too. (laughs) So what was the topic? How do we set the topic up? So the topic is business resiliency. Uh, or what we used to call business continuity or business recovery, and all of the processes are involved around that. And and ha- I mean, it's a very sort of topic du jour, if you like. It's a topic that everybody is is top of mind for a lot of people um, for a whole variety of reasons. Uh, but it's uh, it's one of these things that organizations often seem to struggle with. And uh, I felt like it would be a good place to start, a good conversation to have. So just as we're diving into this, Peter, I think it's really easy for us to say, hey, pandemic, you know, we should, we're all very aware of it because every organization, every company's protocols around disaster recovery and business continuity or business resilience was visited, you know, implemented, acted on. And so the the gaps or the the coverage of that was very clear from the pandemic. Um, But you said there's quite a few different reasons. What are the different things which are kind of coming together to drive that? Well, we've we've also got environmental problems. We've got uh, larger economic uh, issues or changes or changes in the environment, all of which cause us any different reactions in the organization. And there's lots of reasons and lots of things that might trigger the plans. And, And one of the things we were talking about before we started is that very often the plans that have existed historically have been ones that were created based on a worst case scenario, something where like we've, we've lost an entire site to like a data center blew up, a meteor hit us or something like that. Where, and, it, and it's, but the kinds of problems we're running into now that are where we're wanting to use these plans as a method of, of moving the business forward or continuing to operate the business uh, need to cover many, many more different types of scenarios. So I think if, and this is one of the things that kind of a realization that uh, I've certainly seen working with a number of organizations is that that scenario planning piece, which it used, I mean, of course, you know, we talk about this a lot around complexity and how the exponentially changing environment has generated a, a desire to be a lot more resilient in the way we approach problems and so on. But this is tied to that exactly. If you're in a calm, you know, slowly changing, rarely changing environment, the scenarios that you're envisaging when you're pulling together the plans that you're going to come, you know, what what you need to be able to cover, what are essential services that have to be either, um, you know, kind of handled through those periods and tied sort of in a small scale to those scenarios. And the scope for these different scenarios has really accelerated in the last few years. It's, it's almost like you turn on the news, there's more and more of these things happening. I mean, I'm sitting in BC with the fires and all of, um, you know, the, the summer. And, and this year, it's it's like twice as many fires as ever been seen in BC before. And the impact of these things is just 
all the time we're seeing this happen over and over again whether it's supply chains climate events which are happening or the market you mentioned as well so how does that how do those scenarios come together where do organizations start with business resilience and the planning that goes around that so um, the, i mean the way i've i've done this in the past and i was i was coming to you for, for this uh, the call I, that one of the first things i did in one of my uh, first roles was uh, way back in the 90s was around business continuity planning and disaster recovery planning and actually not only designing and putting that into place, assessing what are like doing business impact analysis, working out what are the most critical applications and which business processes require which applications in order to support them. So we knew what we needed to recover and what were our, uh, you've got the whole set of acronyms, right? Uh, RTO, RPO, um, like uh, recovery time objectives, recovery point objectives, how much data can we afford to lose? And so understanding all of that is one piece of it. There's a that's where you want to get to. But I think even before that, there's a there's an exercise where you you sit down with the the key business leaders and work out like, well, what is it that we actually consider critical that we need to run the business? How do we identify the key parts of that? And let's go through a tabletop exercise of understanding um, what what happens when if something fails. Like what what would we do? What would we do in those events? Uh, and from that, you can start to derive. Well, okay, this is what we need to do. Um, we we need a, a separate site with this many desks with the same machines and this many pads of pens and paper. <laughs> I remember doing all of those pieces uh, many years ago. To like it's because um, all of those pieces need to come in. But I think that that kind of initial tabletop exercise size of like what 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 starts to happen when these bits of the system go away now do you is that not started though i mean i think uh, again and I've, I've had some experience in this as well more around startups and prepping for ipos and so on so they need to have some of this paperwork in place and the sort of thought has been put to it and also around data centers and and just making sure you can operate should something catastrophic happen uh, either within the data center or to the data center, um, as an example. But all of these are around, doesn't it start with some understanding of the scenarios that you're going to be modeling around? And I think that's, yes. you know, whether it's a fire or some other event and how long that event might um, cause problems, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. So what's, what, what is going to drive it? Like what's going to cause those systems to go away? What are the, what are the scenarios you're going to plan for? And as I was saying before, the, the scenario people typically plan for is a meteor hits a particular place. So, I mean, is there now a, a shift in thinking around that? Have you seen that? Because I can imagine, again, 10, 20 years ago, the scenario it was one of these catastrophic events happening pretty much to a building or a location. And how does the organization kind of, if it's an international organization or a local organization, how does it work through that? So they're very isolated events. And I, and I just wonder if the fact that things like the pandemic, the supply chain challenges that we've seen and other things happening now, uh, when do they become strategic versus scenarios that you plan for and you kind of bring out that action plan for when they do happen? Well, the the advent of cloud technologies and the capabilities as of, that that provides, along with the triggering of people working from home more and the impacts that that had, had on the workforce has also driven very different sets of scenarios and behaviors because there isn't like one place that uh, potentially gets blown up and then you have to plan for that. It's, um, it's more... 
a case of, well, how do we deal with redundancy? And very often it now comes down to uh, like, where's the data going to be? Like, how are we? And cause, I mean, one mistake I often see younger organizations uh, make is uh, mistaking. Actually, to be fair, I see older organizations make this mistake from time to time too. But the, this uh, the idea of mistaking uh, high availability with disaster recovery that because I because my entire system is mirrored from uh, one site to another site, um, I don't need to uh, I don't need disaster recovery because if this site vanishes, it'll recover over here. But but what happens if your data is corrupted? And your data then gets corrupted. Data then gets mirrored, and you have no ability now to recover back to a known good state. Uh, so but it's not an, it's, it's not an instantaneous hit, right? There's some yes. there's some sort of you know transactions in progress and and various other things that have to be elegantly kind of worked through rather than just chopped off. And so, how do you go about doing that? Yeah. Um. Do you see do you see organizations? I mean, we're t- still talking really about this sort of immediate or, or unexpected events of you know, shortish period of time that, that kind of can hit a region. Are you seeing organizations start thinking about more uh, widespread disruptions that they have to be able to handle? I mean, that was one of the key things in the pandemic is it didn't hit one city, it hit everywhere all at once. So it was a sort of a not a localized event. Yeah, well, it, it certainly created um, uh, extraneous circumstances that organizations had mainly not planned for. A lot of BRP plans uh, had the intent that wealth to keep these business processes running, we are, we'll need to have this many people sort of be able to access remotely maybe to do it. So the the things like VPN concentrators where everybody logs in through into the organization were scaled in a particular fashion. And, every, and so anybody who was still using those suddenly found, well, I don't need to handle a few hundred people, I need to handle thousands. And that caused problems where they just simply the technology um, didn't have the capacity to scale up to the volume of people who are now trying to access from home. And so that was the kind of scenarios that that was causing that were, were never planned for. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, and, and that is obviously shifting nowadays, but are you seeing, you know, is there, I, I guess my, the thought there is at what point does it become a business strategy to have redundant development, high availability, this, that, and the other services, or, is it part of a business resilience plan as well? Well, one of the the jokes from the technology, I don't know if jo- jokes are the wrong word, <laughs> but one of the things that came out of the pandemic as a consequence in the technology space was that a lot of the plans that people had been pushing for for quite a number of years to put into place uh, more virtualized or scalable systems or using cloud technologies were suddenly acceptable, whereas previously there had been all sorts of reasons why they couldn't be done. Um, and cost is often not even one of the highest ones there, but there was the, but now there was suddenly a shift in focus to, oh my, we have to do this. And, and that caused, uh, I think, many, many years worth of digital transformation in a very short period of time, as I think is the way that it's uh, put. It's uh, so the, I mean, the technology itself has been around for a very, very long time and technology standards. <laughs> because I, I always feel a little hesitant when I say these things because we, we work in a time where technology is advancing so quickly. But yeah. So what do you see as the sort of, you know, things, the checklist to watch for, uh, given, I mean, we talk about digital transformations all the time. And I think one of the key things that's changed is that development operations, the whole product development piece is, uh, you know, shorter time to market. It means things are changing much more rapidly. There must be consequences on business resilience and disaster recovery. What What's the impact? How often should they be 
aligning. So it's one of these interesting pieces that uh, historically it was you would be required usually by the governance of the organization to test your uh, um, business recovery plans on maybe a uh, annual basis. If I'm making changes that are to the, the systems on uh, multiple times a day, then potentially are any of those changes breaking changes that may significantly change the nature of the systems that I'm deploying. Um, so some of the ways that you deal with that is by pushing the um, responsibility of, uh, of the recovery engines down into the platform so that the platform is what does that. And so that the platform is taking on a lot of the responsibility for ensuring that the, the systems and everything that runs above it and all the data associated are properly backed up and mirrored and, and stored offsite in regular increments so that I have some way of recovering from that. If you, if you look at cloud technology, it'll be snapshotting on a regular basis. There are, I'm, massively oversimplifying in terms of the obviously there are impacts on large data sets if you start to snapshot on too regular a basis but that's um, not something we're going to worry about here <laughs> so but there are there's system architectural concerns uh, essentially that can be used to ease the burden of this from a uh, from a development perspective where the difficulty often comes is that not everything that an organization has especially one that's been around for some time is able to take advantage of those technologies so you you may have dependencies between critical parts of your system to um, older parts of your system that haven't been updated or changed recently and the failure of those parts can cause a cascading effect into other parts of the system and that's where you run in into the difficulty of understanding what will it take to recover this. Uh, one of the common pieces I, I've seen in sort of mid-sized organizations is you can usually recover a lot of the like external parts of the system fairly easily, stuff that's more modernized. And eventually you get to whatever the critical processing engine is in the middle, and you find it's just a mass of spaghetti. And at that point, you have to just recover everything and everything that it talks to all at once. And that's where all of the effort is, because it's, everything's so tightly coupled that uh, nothing can operate without everything operating. Yeah, well, I mean, this is some, and the other side of it is the way I've certainly seen it is those testing of your dis disaster recovery plans or business resilient plans become so important because invariably these are parts of those scenarios which are just not documented or really understood that the and every organization has some aspect of their service which is a legacy. It's by definition they become you know obsolete or or aged at some point and they need to be understood and reincorporated into to how things are working but they often get missed or at least downplayed the risk associated with them is downplayed and then all of a sudden when you try and do i mean that's why the testing is so important when you try and do the testing yeah. it's, it's, the thing that breaks is not normally where you spent all your time making sure it doesn't break but it's the the assumption you made about the service beneath somebody's desk that didn't get addressed Exactly. That thing always runs. It's always runs. Yeah. Never had a problem. Well, that's because you never turned it off before. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, now, what about? So, the, what I always find interesting um, when we're talking about this, when we're just thinking about it, is we spend a lot of time talking about what the teams are up to and where they're working and how to work closely with the teams. And we want those teams to be very autonomous and self-directed in many ways. And yet at the same time, although we, I certainly, my experience has been all teams still talk about definition of done, stories work, whatever it is, the non-functional requirements is a topic that 
some years ago was always front and center in those conversations. And I don't hear that conversation as frequently anymore. Yeah, and I, I think that actually drives a lot of the problems that we see. Um, and and it, this goes beyond just the resiliency, like how do I recover from a disaster? Um, but from, and, and if I'm making lots of changes to the system, I am, am I ensuring that the system can still recover after I've made those changes? And that actually, it does tie back into things like design, like architecture, and how do we uh, put all these different pieces together? Um, are the changes that I'm making um, to an extent material in nature, are they ones which are going to significantly change the way in which my system functions? Um, and if they are, do I, I need to consider uh, what the impact of that might be? Now, the, I mean, the, the normal day-to-day -day change I'm making will not be for, for the most part of that nature, right? You, you, there's typically more oversight and thought put into it. But um, another, another common one that I see from a, um, a business resiliency perspective is things like uh, latency. If I'm running some kind of latency-sensitive system where I've, I've got to swipe a card at a checkout, for example, and I need it to come back through to the back-end system, and it's got to complete within a certain number of milliseconds for me to be consider it valid back on the system i might make a change into a subsystem somewhere uh, that's getting called and inadvertently slow down that transaction system i've seen that type of change happen more than once where what i what i the change i think i'm making isn't actually as detrimental isn't uh, i don't think that change is detrimental but then when i actually make the change it has some unexpected effect on the overall performance of the system and certainly i mean i think uh, just in this this conversation is a reminder to me certainly to take this back to the teams that we work with to reinforce the placeholder for the conversation that was that discussion around non-functional requirements because it's all everything that you're describing understanding the impact that the change has <laughs> elsewhere in the system and just being kind of cognizant of the impact and the, the consequences that can be generated from that or can be I, possible I, I, I think um, a lot of what the observability movement uh, is looking at is aimed at making non-functional requirements more visible by exposing the business functionality of systems in such yeah. a way that we can measure those and and respond to them in a more timely manner. And um, so there, there's this, it's sort of the cart before the horse. If we end up uh, pushing changes into production faster than we can operationally manage the system that we're changing, then we run yeah. into problems. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting because th this is all about we need to make more information available to the teams that are changing things. So the consequences, yes. that. and so they obviously have to have a broader awareness of the systems being made observable, of course, um, yeah. but also how to interpret those to change them. And we've just, I was just having a conversation about work transparency and the same thing. We, you know, from a work transparency perspective, we, you know, people who are using that information need to know where to get it and how to use it. Same is true, right? And you need that to be able to make decisions in a shorter cycle. Exactly. Exactly. Um, wrapping things up, three things. What would you uh, draw our attention to, uh, Peter, from the conversation that we've had? I think, um, I mean, three good things. Is one, it's um, understanding what happens the, in the event of us and understanding the scenarios for which you want to plan for, uh, and considering broadening the scenarios. That if you, if your if your business recovery plan still consists of media strikes data center and you don't have data centers anymore, you need to update it and understand what are the implications of of the different yeah. types of things that might possibly uh, happen. Um, the an example from earlier today um, was 
uh, one of my colleagues was working with uh, a client and going through a, uh, the results from a tabletop exercise and identifying that there was um, nobody was actually accountable for ensuring that when there was a disaster, somebody actually owned the execution of the plan. Which right. so there's basically no crisis manager. So there's nobody whose responsibility is or accountability is to actually ensure that this thing will even function or work. And so it's things like that, like so sort of making sure that it's understood who owns this. So that's that's the kind of thing. Um, the being conscious that it it's you've got to think about the whole system it's not just about the it systems it's about what are the business processes you need to recover that are supported by those it systems because you don't want to necessarily recover everything and what is the scale and complexity of doing that i think there's a couple of well, what else would you add so it's it, it, i i'm kind of drawn to i think what you're describing is a lot of the sort of how to make it happen bit and um what I'm drawn to very specifically is at what point do the scenarios that we're discussing morph into strategies or business strategies we have to address? So I, I and that's something I think is more to do with the fact that things are happening and changing more and more frequently. So we need to be aware of that. And some of that just means it's, it's business as usual. We need to be able to work in those fluctuations. So there's, I think, a pretty interesting conversation about where does at what point do those scenarios shift to being business scenarios that we have to deal with rather than disaster scenarios that we have to deal with. And I, I don't know where that would be. I would, I would kind of go and do a bit of a search about that. I think that's quite an interesting conversation. It, it is because it'll come down to the risk tolerance of the business leaders. Uh, in, in the case of BC, um, do they want to work out how to make their systems recoverable or do they just buy fire insurance? Well, yeah, I mean, this, it, 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 there's some interesting conversations there, right? I mean, it's yeah. risk is always about do you insure, do you yes. ignore, uh, do you, impact versus do you manage, right, and, and address it. So, yeah, yeah, I think that was one of the things. And then, really, maybe the other one is just um, a. It's almost like I, I think this is such a timely conversation in that we have the tendency of building silos around wherever it is that we work. And I think this for me was that reminder that that conversation around non-functional requirements, around observability and around some of those things. So a good, just like we've said before around engineering practices, it's worth bringing these things up and just getting them to the top of a pile of conversations rather than thinking that they are being covered when probably they're not really. Oh, they're not, they, they, they never are. <laughs> <laughs> my experience <laughs> all the stories i can tell <laughs> fair enough fair enough uh so so with that if anybody would like to send us feedback they can at feedback at definitely maybe agile.com and uh, don't forget to hit subscribe we always like new subscribers for sure until next time peter thanks again you've been listening to definitely maybe agile the podcast where your hosts peter madison and david sharrock focus on the art and science of digital agile and devops at scale <laughs>